In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we pause from the readings of the month, the readings of the month of Misr. We pause from reading these readings and we read from the 16th day of the blessed month of Misr, which is the feast of the transfiguration of our Lord. It's one of the minor feasts that we celebrate of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, its importance is great. Uh, its importance oftentimes is not thought about because this feast comes during the middle of the week, and if it comes during the middle of the week, uh, we rarely have time to pause from our day-to-day life to contemplate this great feast. We might read it occasionally uh, in our daily readings of the Bible, but again, to sit and to contemplate and to celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord is different. To celebrate this actual event. Like we don't celebrate so much the healing of a blind man. We don't celebrate some of the miracles as much. We read about it. But this event in our Lord Jesus Christ's life, we celebrate it. And the focus of our celebration is that Christ is revealing to us something which we would never even imagine had it not been shown to the disciples and the disciples spoke to us about it. There's a nice way to kind of think about it using a story from Plato. Uh, Plato wrote this uh, allegory in, in one of his larger pieces. The allegory was called the allegory of the cave. Anybody re- remember reading this in college? The allegory of the cave. I'll describe it. It was the allegory of the cave was this description of how there were people living in a cave and they had grown up and were raised in the cave. They knew nothing about anything outside of the cave. And what they saw in the cave, they were, imagine the opening of the cave is behind them and they are facing the back wall of the cave. And all they know is what they see passing along the back wall of the cave. They see shadows. So when they see a shadow of a dog, they say, that's a dog. They don't know what a real dog looks like. They're looking at the shadow, and that's all they know. So the, the light is coming in and casting these shadows on the cave and on the cave wall, and this is all that they know about life, what they see on the cave wall. But Plato goes on and he says, but imagine they're freed from the cave and they're able to enter into the real light outside of the cave. And in the real light outside of the cave, they are able to see what a real dog looks like or what a real animal looks like or what a real tree looks like. Their vision before was not a complete vision. And it was only when they entered into the light, the true light, the real light, did they see what was actually reality, what was actually true. How do we apply this in our life? So much of what we live is not in reality. We actually many times avoid reality. How do we avoid reality? Uh, it, It can be in different ways. Sometimes people turn to to drugs, sometimes people turn to other addictions, 
this is a way where they say, I'm going to just check out of reality for a little bit. I don't want to deal with the pain. I don't want to deal with the problems. I don't want to deal with the issues. So I'm just going to check out for a little bit, go on a little trip, whether it's through uh, drugs or sex or alcohol or any of these other vices. We say we, we don't want reality. Now for those that are able to avoid the vices of drugs, sex and alcohol, we do other things to avoid reality. We might work a lot. We might read a lot. We might watch TV a lot. We might do the things that are not really important to do or not really part of our, um, what's in front of us. We might avoid certain tasks. I'm going to avoid something because I don't want to deal with it. That's just about our life, facing the reality of our life. I don't want to deal with the reality of the war in Syria, so I don't want to listen to any news about that. I don't want to deal with the reality of homelessness, so I'm going to avoid certain areas of the city. I don't want to hear the problems of my relatives in Egypt, or I don't want to hear about what's going on in Egypt, so I'm just going to completely isolate myself from that. This is another way that we are avoiding reality. And then when we come to church, there's another way that we avoid reality in church. We do what we think is the bare minimum. We do what we think is just enough just enough for what we have to do to get by. What's the minimum I have to read my Bible? What's the minimum I have to pray my Igbeah? What's the minimum uh, that I have to uh, come to church? What's the least amount that I have to offer to God? And then, when I, when I want to go a little bit further, I say, okay, let me go to confession. And when I go to confession, I'll, I'll just release everything that's within me and I will be right with God and when I'm right with God then I can approach Him again and everything is going to be okay until the next until the next confession I think about religion and I think about God in terms of right and wrong I think about my relationship uh, with God and my relationship with the church and my relationship with religion as a set of rules uh, in order to be right with, with, with God or right with the church, i got to avoid certain things. And this is how we avoid the reality of the church. This is how we avoid the reality of God. Because what this feast of the transfiguration is trying to explain to us or to show us, that there is something greater than just following rules. There is something greater there's something greater than just trying to uh, go to church, take communion and move on with your life. There's something greater than that. This vision of God. And what I want to speak to you about today is about the desire to see God. The desire to see the glory of God. If this is not a desire within our hearts, then we don't know what our destination is. We don't know why we're going to church. We don't know why we're following the commandments. We don't know why we're going through all of these hurdles in our spiritual life. Let's say that again. If we do not have the desire to see God, if we don't have the desire to be in God's presence, then we have lost our way. We've gotten into a car 
and we're driving, but we don't know where we're driving to, and we don't know if we're going to get there, right? Yes, I have to press on the brakes when it's time to stop. Yes, I have to press on the gas. Yes, I have to drive in the lanes. Those are all the rules to driving. But where are you going? Right? And what's the purpose? Why do you want to get there? The goal is to see that vision of God. Moses, in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus, Moses asks to seek the glory of God. He says, let me see the glory, your glory. It's, it seems a little bit odd that he's asking to see the glory of God even though he had been on the mountain for 40, for 40 days. This was right after he comes down the mountain and he, in, in, in the chapter before he sees that they're worshipping the golden calf. Right? So he's on the mountain for 40 days. They're worshipping the golden calf. Then Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And the story also of Elijah, right? Moses and Elijah, this is the Feast of the Transfiguration. Moses desires to see the glory of God, and Elijah too went searching for the glory of God. This was a little bit more, you have to read in 1 Kings chapters uh, 18 and 19. 18 is when he does that great miracle where he calls that on God to bring fire from heaven, to accept his, his sacrifice that was soaked in water. And then afterwards, he travels to Mount Horeb. Travels to Mount Horeb where Moses had seen the burning bush. He travels to Mount Horeb in, in this desire to see God, to be with God. To be, he was depressed after this great miracle. He was completely depressed. He said to God, nobody is following you. I am the last person who is following you and worshipping you and they want to kill me. And then God speaks to him in that silent voice, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the lightning, not in any of that, but in that silent voice God speaks to him, comforts him, comes to him and tells him, by the way, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You know, he comes, God comes to us and he reveals himself to us, giving us the message that we need, but we have to desire to see him. We have to desire to be with him. Think about this. Tell me, is this the desire to be with God? It doesn't happen here. But you've gone to churches. You know about churches where during communion, people take communion and then go straight for the coffee. Is that the desire to be in the presence of God? Is that the desire to be in the company of the saints? Right? We're, 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 I don't want to say we're um, going through the motions, but we are in the presence of God literally and figuratively, spiritually and physically. We are in the presence of God when we come to church. But if I'm focused on I don't want to see that person. I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want you know, to have to have this sort of interaction on the side. Then we're not focused on God at all. And we're coming to church for the wrong reasons. And we don't know where we're going. 
And this is why the Feast of the Transfiguration is important for us to again remember that God came not just to save us, to give us a card that says you're saved and when you die, show me this card and you'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not about, are you baptized? Are you not baptized? Or did you take communion? When was the last time you confessed? Did you confess all your sins? All of that is to help us to where we are going. But all of that is not the substance of our religion. It's not the substance of our faith. The substance of our faith is Christ Himself. And the desire within us to be with Christ is what powers us and motivates us to read our Bibles, to stand up for prayer, to confess our sins, to be right with our brother and our sister, to come to church, to hear the Word of God, to apply it in our life, to leave with a message and this reassurance that God is Emmanuel. God is with us. Right? We take that. And then to take it to the next level when when John writes about the transfiguration if you know just you should know this but just the transfiguration is in three gospels Matthew Mark and Luke Matthew 17 Mark 9 Luke 9 but it's not in the gospel of John John was one of the people that was on <laughs> was was there so you would think, why didn't John include this in his gospel? But he includes it in a very short passage. He includes it in the beginning of the gospel. When he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He says and in chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt in us, and we beheld His glory. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? We read this every morning in the first hour of the Agbeya. We beheld His glory. And then in his epistle, he says, that which we saw, that which we handled with our hands, that which we uh, listened to, that which we, um, uh, we uh, interacted with, all of that, he said, all the senses basically, that which we saw, we proclaimed to you. We proclaimed this to you. We gave you this message of what we saw. And in today's Catholic epistle, St. Peter is reminding us of what he saw. But in the Pauline epistle taken from Colossians, chapter 1, one of the most powerful passages in the Bible speaking about who Jesus Christ is. He says about Jesus Christ that he is the icon of, of the invisible God. Maybe you didn't hear this language because in the English translation it uses the image of the invisible God. But if we were reading it in the, in the Greek, we would see it is the icon. He is the image of the invisible God or the icon of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And it says, For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We, can, we say, yeah, we know that Jesus Christ is equal to God the Father and the fullness of God is in Him. But when we take this verse and says that Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God and we connect it with let us make man according to our image and likeness, we see that we are also supposed to be in the image of God. We are supposed to also carry within us the image of the invisible God. We could say it a different way. If, if Christ is an icon of God, we are to be icons of Christ. Hence, that's why we're called Christians. 
little Christs, people who carry Christ within them. So if we look to the if we look to the transfiguration as a manifestation of the glory of God, it's also for us to understand that how He has manifested the glory of God is supposed to be to some degree and some element within our lives as well. So not only am I desiring to see the glory of God, I also am desiring to carry that light into the world. He says to us, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, I am the light of the world. And he also speaks to us about the light that was within us. And this is how we manifest ourselves as children of God. We are children of God who are waiting for the glory of God to come in its completeness, in its fullness. And as we are waiting for that, and we are remembering what happened and looking for it again, we are in our day-to-day searching for the glory of God so that the glory of God can also shine within us. Why didn't... Let me say say something else. Let's think about St. Mary. St. Mary, when we think about her during this fast, we, we, wait, we, we look to her as someone who accepted Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was incarnate within her. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. She was a very holy woman. And we all pray to her and we sing her praises. Now, aside from the fact, and I'm, I, I'm very sad to say this, aside from the fact that I feel most... Coptic Christians have a stronger desire to see St. Mary than to see the glory of God. Aside from that, we need to recorrect that or, or reorient ourselves again to the desire to see the glory of God. And when you see the saints, you are seeing the glory of God in those saints. In our desire to, to see the glory of God, we have to take from St. Mary the example she gave to us before she gave birth to Christ. Before she gave birth to Christ, she was consecrated. We were all consecrated, right? We were all baptized. She was consecrated and given to the temple and raised in the temple. We are all, even though you live in your homes, you are all belonging to the temple of God. You are all children of the temple of God. And you are education or being raised in the temple is in your homes right it's not it's there should be no difference between being raised in the church and being raised in your homes it's the same the church is an extension of the or the home is the extension of the church so she was consecrated she was very knowledgeable of the old testament she worshiped god She was always praising God. And when it came time for her to hear the voice of God, she listens to the voice of God and she accepts the will of God. We can hear the voice of God when we read, when we pray, when we come to church, when we are talking to God in the car, we can hear the voice of God if we are listening to it. And then she says, before she gives birth to God, to Jesus Christ, she goes to see Elizabeth and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My life should be a life 
of praise. My life should be a life of glorifying God. My life should be a life of making God greater. So when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she was making God greater in her own heart and in her own deeds and in her own actions. So we look to St. Mary not so that she can give us miracles. She can heal us from whatever illnesses that we have. We look to her also to help us have that desire to see God. We look to her also to have that desire to be united with God. St. Mary was united with Jesus Christ physically and spiritually. You know, later on, maybe next week, comes the gospel where somebody says to St. Mary, blessed is the, uh, says to Christ, blessed is, uh, is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. And Jesus says more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, he's not putting St. Mary down. He's saying, St. Mary is not my mother because she just had a uterus and she was able to give me milk. St. Mary is my mother also because she heard the word of God and she did it. Remember when you know, your mother and your brothers are outside calling for you and they say, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God. They are my mother and my brother and my sister. So he praises St. Mary also because it wasn't just her physical anatomy that made her the, 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 the mother of God, but what she did and what she was seeking after. This feast and in this liturgy, let us again reorient ourselves to looking for the glory of God. Just like Moses and Elijah who desired to see God and it was given to her, to them, let it also be given to us. Just as Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree in a desire to see God, let us also climb a little bit. We're, climb Mount Tabor, climb the sycamore tree, but climb in our spiritual lives desiring to see the glory of God. Let us desire to see the glory of God in our church, in our homes, and in our lives. So that when God's glory is seen before us and is always before us, we know exactly where we're going. We're not confused about why we're fasting. We're not confused about why we're reading our Bible. We're not confused about why we're going to confession, why we're taking communion. It is for our desire to see that glory and be united with that glory. To Him, to God be the glory now and ever and to the age of all ages. Amen. <laughs>